Good morning. We'll be reading out of the uh, Pew Bible, page 1160, if you'd like to follow along. It's Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. And uh, if you're reading out of a different version, we'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, so it may sound a little different uh, from a different version. So. Therefore, remember that at one time you were gent you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... Christ Jesus, who once were far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I just uh, thank you so much for the, uh, the unity that you've uh, put your death and uh, action, Father, and I just pray, Lord, that you help us what it is that you have spoken into our pastor's heart, and uh, give us ears to hear. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Good morning. So Cami and Dale, they are at a conference right now, a worship conference, growing in their abilities to serve us. And so uh, as we got to sing from our hymnals this morning, um, just like we leave the Bibles on the chairs, uh, these are tools for you to take home, to use in your own personal devotions. So too are hymnals, good tools for you to sing songs to Jesus in your home, uh, with your family with your friends and so uh, if you need a resource we uh, would be happy to provide that that for you so yesterday uh, our country we celebrated September 11th and you've probably heard the words before those who do not know history are destined to repeat that it's probably true don't you wish you could go back into the story of Genesis and, and, and take Jacob and grab him by the shoulders and say, don't do this. Don't do what you want to do. Stop it. Know your history. Avoid some pain, Jacob. 
But I think what we oftentimes realize or forget is that what about the good things? I'm sure there's no wives in this room that when their husband brings them flowers that she says, oh, buddy, you already gave them to me on my wedding day. Please don't do that again. Or a kid who got their father celebrate and say congratulations on con graduating preschool that when they're graduating high school is like, dad, you don't need to do that again. Can we agree that we want to repeat good things? This morning, we will see two things. A reminder from last week of what God has done for us. And then a second thing is a reminder of what the early church did in light of that. And from this, we can easily apply how we as Cornerstone Church will continue to live in covenant together as God's family. And so let's remember and let's repeat what we see in the scriptures. So would you pray with me? as we get moving into our text. Father, thank you that we get to gather as your people. God, thank you for making that possible through the death, and the life, the resurrection of your Son, of reconciling us to you so that we could be reconciled with each other. God, be glorified in our time. Speak to us. Show us in your word how you would have us to respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So last week we talked about membership will look like here at Cornerstone, where God covenants with his people, God's people covenant with each other, and God's people covenant with their leaders. Where we started with Christians, they profess their faith in Christ as their Savior. And Christians, we obey God's word. And that primarily and firstly happens with being baptized and celebrating the Lord's Supper. We see that Christians, they seek to understand God's word so that they can apply it in their lives and share it with others. And Christians, we also worship, which we did this morning. Got a little taste of heaven of what it would be like just to sing with our voices to who, about who God is and what he's done. And so this salvation that we've received from Christ, it leads to a new identity for us as individuals. But it also leads to a new identity for us collectively as God's people. And so Jesus, he has made us a new family. He gives this new family an identity so that we can now grow with each other. And first we will see what God does now that we have this new identity. We'll look again at verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we see an important word from the Apostle Paul here in the text. The text starts with, therefore. We will see this word in English three times today. Verse 11, therefore. Verse 14, for. And verse 18, for. 
And early in my seminary studies, and many of you probably know this, and in order to understand what Scripture teaches and what pastors teach, when you see the word for, you're supposed to ask, what? What is it there for? In the original language in our text this morning, it's actually three different words. And those three words will give us our three main points out of our text in Ephesians. We will see what God has done for his people as Paul makes his logical arguments in light of what we saw last week in the, the first ten verses. So the first is that our salvation, it leads to peace among God's people, amongst us. Second, because we have peace, we are united as a family. And third, because we are a united family, the family should build each other up. And that's how it relates to membership. So first, our salvation, it leads to peace. Peace with God and peace with each other. Therefore, remember, and Paul is making an inference, lest they forget, those who remember will reap the fruit of faithfulness in the future. And so here Paul is referencing, therefore, he's referring back, he's inferring back to our salvation, our covenant with God leading to peace among God's people with God. And there are two types of people in the world. We saw those last week. There's sinner and there's saved. There's dead and there's those who are alive. There's children of wrath and children of God. And Paul wants this Ephesian church to remember where they have come from. Remember. Jesus, he was a Jewish man. He came to live a perfect life in the land of Israel. Promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And you see, I'll keep reminding us how much of life connects to Genesis. Jewish people in the first century, they did not interact much with people outside of God's chosen family, and they were called Gentiles. As the gospel was proclaimed, Gentiles became part of the church, and this Ephesian church was no different. And so in this Ephesian church, these Jewish people and these Gentile people started to interact with each other. And Paul is speaking first to the Gentiles, the people who at one time were not part of God's chosen family. Remember, Gentiles, you used to have, not have a covenant with God, but now, Gentiles, you do. Paul is a good pastor. He is reminding the church where they've come from. And so remember, Gentiles, you were a few things. First, you were separated from Christ. Not part of God's chosen family. There was social animosity amongst the Jews and the Gentiles, but there was also spiritual animosity between them and God. Remember. Second, they were alienated. Aliens from movies, you know, people from outer space that are not from here, or as the media would talk about, people from other countries. They're sojourners. They're part of another family from another area. Gentiles, remember. Third, they were strangers to God's word. 
The Gentiles who had no previous relationship with God, especially had no relationship with God's Word. When we moved to Vermont, we would meet people and they would ask us, who are you and what are you doing here? Oh, you bought so-and-so's old house. We are probably still strangers to many people here. Remember, fourth, they had no hope. Hope is looking forward to things that one cannot see. And the Gentiles especially had no hope because they did not know God's word and what it said of the things to look forward to, the promises that God had for his people and the future. Remember, fifth, they were without God. They were separate, they were alienated, they were strangers, they were without hope, and worst of all, they were without God. When we are forsaken in our sin, we are without God. And Paul is saying, remember. But lest we think that we are any better off, you can say the same, same thing about the Jewish people, and you can say the same thing about you and I in this room. Before we believed, when we don't believe, we're separated. The Jews, they lived in the land of Egypt for centuries. Later, they were exiles in the land of Babylon in Assyria. Maybe you, even today, feel as an alien in the world we live in here in the United States or Vermont. Or sojourners, aliens. Before we read and understand and follow God's word, we were strangers to the promises of God. Even the Jewish people were, who thought they knew it. Many Jews gave up as God tarried, and how much do we, as we wait for God to respond? Without Christ, we're just like the Gentiles, with no hope. And Paul wants this Ephesian church to remember. He wants them to remember that they were uncircumcised, that they were underprivileged, but because of what Christ has done, they come from the same background, they could be united as one people of God. Those promises of God, as Paul says, come through the covenants. We are familiar with some of them, where Abraham was given a covenant that I will bless you and give you this land. Or the Mosaic covenant that would come as the people of God are leaving Egypt, where you do these things and you will be blessed. You don't do these things, you will be cursed. Or Noah, God promised that he would never flood the earth again. Or David, that God would all promise to always have a king on the throne. And church, all of those covenants and promises are fulfilled through the new covenant, through Christ. All Jews and Gentiles, you and me, can be reconciled both to God and with each other because of the new covenant, God's covenant with us. And so remember, remember where you came from. In Christ Jesus, those outside of God's family have now been brought near. Near to God but also near to each other. So remember, Cornerstone Church, we are in Christ Jesus. And this nearness we have to God means that we can have access to God and be part of God's family through the sacrificial death of His Son. God covenants with us so that we can be in right relationship with Him, but He also covenants with us so that we can now be in right relationship with each other.
Our salvation leads to peace among God's people. Second, because we have the peace, we are a united family. We'll see how Paul explains this in verses 14 to 17. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So this 4 in verse 17 is not an inference. It is an explanation. So I think everybody in this room, if I'm not mistaken, is an American citizen. So you are an American citizen in three ways. Because, not for, because you were born in the United States, you had maybe United States citizens as parents, or you went through the government process to become a citizen of this country. You are an American citizen for or because the United States government recognizes you as a citizen. And so Paul is continuing his logical arguments here. He made his conclusions earlier, and now he's going to explain them. And so Paul explains that peace and harmony, it come to us through Christ because we have a harmonious now friendship with God and with each other in the church. Where Jesus is now our peace, peace with God, and peace with each other. And Paul, he begins to explain some more of what this separation looks like. He picks up on language that would have been familiar to this church. He talks about a dividing wall of hostility, where we are in hostility with God before we believe in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, but we're also in hostility with people of God. And this dividing wall of hostility is a medical, metaphorical wall that is broken down, dividing Jews and Gentiles, dividing different people from different backgrounds and races and ethnicities to become part of God's people. Paul says that Jesus has abolished that law. Literally, the word means he made it ineffective. The purpose of the law was to show God's people their utter desperate need for a Savior. No one was meant to look at the law and say, I got this. Paul says in Romans 2 that the law was written on the Gentiles' heart, but it was not meant to show, it was meant to show us our need for Christ. Matthew 5:48, Jesus says that you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We don't respond, right, with no problem. Like we saw last week, we fall on our faces in dependence and with gratitude that Jesus makes it even possible for us to try, let alone accomplish. In the Old and New Testaments alike, peace was referred to as a, a well-being or especially with its widest sense. Particularly, it refers to peace as our salvation, especially in the text this morning. 
And the source of peace, our salvation and lack of hostility, is only brought about through Jesus. We saw last week. Our harmony with God and with each other as a church is only brought about by Jesus Christ. And this reconciliation not only results in new men and new women, but it results in a new mankind in a place of the two, where God creates one people, one people of God united by Christ. Whereas in Adam we inherited death, in Christ we inherit peace, recreated as individuals, but united as a family of God. Jesus, he came and preached peace, and still today these words proclaimed among the angels at his birth, I think, have a significant impact. In Luke 2, the angels, if you're familiar, say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This peace, it was preached at Jesus' birth, and preaching is to announce good news. Hopefully, you hear peace preached every Sunday from this pulpit. The good news is preached to both Jews and to Gentiles, to stranger and to family member, to alien or resident, to believer as well as non-believer. Paul said it is preached to us, and so let us never get tired of hearing the gospel because we all need it even today. We mess up. When we think that we can do things to make God love us more, we need the gospel. When we do things that we think that God would love us less, we need the gospel. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased only comes through the reconciliation with God accomplished through Jesus' death. We need to be reminded of this often. What this does is it fixes our relationship with God, or it fixes our relationship with God vertically, and it allows us to have a relationship fixed with each other horizontally where our vertical restoration with God leads to a horizontal or horizontal relation <laughs> restoration with each other. That's a hard word to say. We are church a united family. So first our salvation leads to peace among God's people. Second because we have peace we are a united family and third because we are a united family the family should build each other up. We'll pick it back up in verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For, not a conclusion, not an explanation, for here is a result. The result of peace is that both Jews and Gentiles now have equal access to God in one Spirit to the Father. 
The moment a believer receives Christ, believes the things that we talked about primarily last week, the Holy Spirit seals us for salvation before the heavenly throne of God. And as we relate to God, we are now welcome to come to Him with boldness at any time. The pastor who wrote the letter to Hebrews says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let us draw near. My kids, they can come to me at any time. Unless you think I'm a perfect parent, sometimes I don't hear them or even want to listen to them. But they can still come to me. Access to God, though, is a result of receiving the preaching of peace. Where we, as God's children, can always come to Him. And so then, we get to preach peace to each other. We preach to each other all the time, do we not? You have to watch this show. You have to see this photo. You have to do this. You have to avoid that. You need to whatever. We see it all the time. We preach. But we need to have the gospel of peace preached to us. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is preaching, even in his writing, even in this letter. Remember, Ephesian church, you had no hope. Remember that. Let's be the kind of church that preaches the best things, the Bible, the gospel, and peace. And we can also still preach, like I will, that the Red Sox aren't the best baseball team. I might be looking for a job next week. Paul here calls God's reconciled people two things. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And as citizens of this country, there's an expectation of how you will live. It's confusing, but there is. Christians are fellow citizens together within God's kingdom. We are also members of God's house. We are members of God's family, and we are in this church together. And the foundation of the membership is built upon the apostles and the prophets. God's word. And our foundation church will be God's word. And Christ is the cornerstone. The cornerstone, it sets the foundation. It is a square stone that keeps everything else in the building square. Everything in God's word is rested on the person and work of Christ, but it also points to Jesus. Jesus said this in John 5, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So cornerstone. Christ will be our cornerstone. May he always be. May his word guide us, keep us square, and may it help each other to be square on the right path. And so God, he gives us peace with him and with each other through his covenant with us. The foundation is built and all of these verbs, you might not be able to tell this in your English translation, they're in a passive voice, meaning that we aren't doing anything. We are built, we are joined, we are grown. God does the work on our behalf and we get to participate with him.
And the Trinity is a perfect example of community. We sang our first song this morning. All three members of the Trinity work together in our redemption, the redemption of God's people. In verse 18, for through him, referring to Jesus, we both have access in one spirit with a capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit, to the Father. As J.I. Packer says, three persons of the Godhead, co-equal, co-eternal, always together and always cooperating, the Father initiating, the Son complying, and the Spirit executing the will of both, which is His will as well. Church, we need each other. God and His people, we are bound to each other in a new covenant. J.I. Packer says this as well, that the Spirit is poured out both on each Christian and on the church. So that fellowship with Christ, ministry from Christ, and a foretaste of heaven becomes realities of churchly experience. Those who know the past, we don't just avoid the bad things in the future, but we look forward to the good things that have started in the past, which will be completed in the future. One commentator said that the building is still under construction. The new community of God is growing and progressing to its ultimate goal of holiness. An objective that is not simply personal or individual, but must be corporate as well. God already dwells in His temple even though it is still growing, but the character of the new building is derived from God who inhabits. That is, it is holy. We've seen how God acts and what that brings to us individually as well as collectively. And so let's see how the early church applied these truths to their lives. This shouldn't be new to you if you have been around since I've been around. Uh, we are a new people of God. We are growing and being built up by God, but we also get to participate in the building up of each other. And that's where the covenant with each other comes into play of what this will look like. And what better way to learn then look at how the early church applied these truths. So, Acts 2.42. They, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. So they, they start with the gospel. And the gospel, as we're studying on Wednesday evenings, is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel leads to gospel doctrine. Gospel doctrine comes from a church that is submitted to God's word, to the apostles' teaching. Gospel doctrine leads to a church that reads the Bible, that preaches the Bible, that teaches the Bible. It's a church that entrusts the gospel to others who will then be enabled to entrust it to others. Because, because we are right with God, we devote ourselves to God's word. When God speaks, we receive gospel doctrine. Gospel doctrine then leads to a gospel people. It leads to a people of God who are committed to each other, who are devoted to fellowship. Gospel people, they linger long on Sundays after our service, or they come early on Wednesday and stay a little bit longer on Wednesday evenings. Gospel people sing loud together. 
to God because He deserves our worship. Gospel people, they participate in the rhythms of the church, like Sundays and Wednesdays, our retreats, our VBSs, our family gatherings. A gospel people, they love each other. We talked about apprehensions to membership last week of maybe some bad leadership. A big one might be, the people of my old church, they just didn't love me well. Let's love each other well, church, like we want to be loved how God commands us to love. May we be a loving church to each other, Cornerstone. A gospel people also bears each other's burdens. Oops, lost my spot. Sorry. We're called in Galatians to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And Let's be honest. We have burdens. We get to bear those together. The problem is, we don't often share our burdens with each other. Because we don't want to burden others with those. But it's a privilege, church, to bear each other's burdens. Last week after service, there was a family who locked their keys in their car and we were here as well as another family, and they were like, no, 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 don't worry about it. We got AAA coming, but it was a joy to fellowship with them a little bit, to try and get the keys out, but we failed. AAA did come, but it was a time I won't forget where we were able to laugh. We didn't break the window, um, but we were able to participate in that together. Share your burdens. It's a joy of following God's command for us, that we get to do that together. Out of the grace that we've received, we get to also respond in generosity. A gospel people gets to contribute to each other's needs. Some of you have lost your job in the last 18 months. Some of you have reduced income. Some of you have more burden at work. And maybe your job takes you away from your family. You need help with your kids or other needs. In Acts 4, Luke records at the early church that there was not a needy person among them. Your generosity, church, helps us to meet other people's needs, to serve each other, to provide resources, to invest in the planting of more healthy churches together, to love each other, to do things that are fun and encouraging to build each other up as a family. If you're not aware, you can give online, you can give in the box or the baskets in the back, and, or you can send your giving in to the mail. But there, may there be no need in this church that we could not meet for each other. So thank you for your continued generosity. It's a testament of God's work in your life as we see it through our church. A gospel people, they also get to serve one another. Part of being a member of the church is that you get to serve, but also be served. Someone moved chairs. Someone painted walls. Someone is in the nursery this morning with some kids. When we had our, block for our party out back, someone set up tables. Someone set up chairs. Someone set up a tent. Someone made food. Someone cleaned up the food. Someone took the trash out. Someone makes the landscaping around here look really nice. 
Others take a deposit to the bank or manage our books. We have so many people who serve in this church, so thank you. But we have others who would love to be served in this church, like our youth kids, right? Youth kids, maybe? You're shy. Our kids on Wednesdays or Sundays, they need helpers too, so that our parents can be taught and trained, but also so the kids can be taught and trained. So if you're wanting to serve, there's a sign-up sheet that I made in the back. On your way out, there's a pen with some fill-in-the-blanks. Write your name, if, you, if you're just potentially interested in serving in some of those areas. We'd love to talk with you about that. If there's an area that you would like to serve that's not on the list, you can write that down too. Of gospel people, we gather together to worship God for who he is and what he has done. A gospel people, we gather regularly with each other. The most important part of being in a covenant with each other is to be around each other. Marriages are not easy in a covenant when one of the spouses is gone 300 days a year. Even online services, church, will not cut it. They're good for temporary purposes, but not for a long period of time. We need to be with each other. We need to see each other's faces. We need to see when we come in on a Wednesday and we had a long day at the office. We can pray for you. We need to see each other as we come in after a hard conversation on the ride here with one of your kids on the road to church. Someone else can give them a hug or maybe even share the gospel with them to pray for them because you just might be exhausted. So God speaks in gospel doctrine. We understand it together and we get to encourage each other by declaring the gospel to each other, both inside and outside of this church. We understand the gospel, and a gospel people is transformed together as we are committed to each other. And as the gospel transforms us, we get to be on mission with one another. We get to share Christ with each other. No one has yelled at me yet, except for maybe that Red Sox comment. It's safe here for me to preach the gospel to you all. We can be on mission together. Because we need the gospel, we can share it with each other. We can encourage each other. It's a good practice to share the gospel with each other. It's a mutual benefit. Because now, in a safe place, we can practice to then go share it outside, where it's much more hostile. A gospel doctrine shaped people, God's people, then apply all parts of the gospel in our lives, and it creates a gospel culture. Gospel people are devoted to breaking bread, seeing and savoring Christ, and showing and sharing the gospel with each other. It's a church that's, being, that's devoted to being transformed by the gospel. In our teaching and our preaching, following shepherds who need the gospel just as much as you guys do, a gospel doctrine-shaped gospel people that are part of a gospel culture are reminded over and over again of our gospel desperation where we are utterly dependent on Him as our helper, on God, as we respond to Him and we depend on Him, where God's people are devoted to prayer as we respond to God's Word every day. We as God's people will continually 
continue to be prayerfully and humbly dependent on God every day. On Sundays, as we gather with our leaders to train them, as we pray together, men, we gather on Sunday or Monday mornings at 6 a.m. All of you are welcome to join. Ladies, there, we will have some dates for you of the next read, pray, sing time next week uh, in the bulletin. They would love to have you attend as well. We will have some dates for you, and we as leaders, we will continue to pray for you. Please also be praying for us as your leaders. We'll talk more about that next week. A gospel people, we pray for one another. The world we live in, it's hard. We strive to be perfect, but we are utterly dependent on a gracious God. And a great way to love someone in this church is to pray for them. Let's be a church that prays for one another. And may we pray for each other consistently. In a world that tears things down, let's be a church that builds one another up. Share what God has done in your life. Share how God has answered your prayers. Share what God has taught you in His world or in His Word. Build each other up. Participate with God in each other's sanctification or growth in holiness. May we be a church cornerstone that builds each other up. When we know the gospel and when we apply it, gospel desperation continues as we are in need of grace every day. We need to build each other up. Church, through God's covenant with us, we can covenant with each other. And these two, the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we get to do that together. We also get to follow the Great Commission. We touched base on that the last two weeks to make disciples. And we will, by God's grace, be a church that loves God, loves others, and makes disciples. You might have saw that on the wall this morning. It's very simple. Church, God is in covenant with us so that we can be in covenant with each other. As part of the family, we have to be with the family at the family dinner. Sometimes little Johnny has to do the dishes. Sometimes mom gets a side gig to help pay some bills. Sometimes little Katie has to pray at dinner. Sometimes dad should open up the Bible with his family and encourage his kids with the scriptures. Sometimes it's hard in our homes and sometimes it's hard in the church, but it's always worth it. And so as this life is hard, we get to do it together. And so if you aren't officially part of this family that we call Cornerstone Church, would you consider doing so? Like marriage is a joy for a husband and wife to be in covenant. It's a joy to be in covenant with God's people for each other's mutual benefit. The author Oz Guinness says that the church itself is in deep chaos. We need to remember our history, remember our heritage, and in our marriages and our churches and then branching out wider, restore the understanding of a commitment to a powerful, robust sense of covenant. I took a jab at defining a covenant with a little help as a mutually binding agreement between two parties in a relationship with promises that are made or obligated with negative consequences for breaking them and positive consequences for keeping them, both for each other's good. And your elders want good for you. 
we want to be in covenant together as a church. And it's no surprise that marriages suffer without the reminder of a covenant. And it's no surprise when churches struggle without a reminder of a covenant with each other. And so it's God's plan to covenant with you so that you can be in covenant with his people. Membership church is for our joy. It's for our mutual benefit. But most importantly, it's for God's glory as we build each other up in him. Would you pray with me as I invite the worship team back up? Father, thank you for making it possible to covenant with each other through the covenant that you've initiated through your Son for us. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we ask that you would help us to love each other as we love ourselves. And Father, we help that you would we ask that you would help us to make disciples here with each other and also for those who do not yet know you. And we pray this most importantly for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.